Let me get you to open the Bible, please, to uh, Acts chapter 11. You'll find in the Bible on page 920. We're going to look this morning at verses 25 and 26, just two verses, but two very important verses. I hope you'll follow along, even though it's a brief reading. I'd I'd like you to be very clear that this isn't me or something I've cooked up. This is actually uh, God's word to us. Would you please stand? Reading from Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 25. So... Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd please send your sovereign spirit upon us, the same spirit that moved Luke to record these words the same spirit that moved Barnabas to go to Antioch and to see what he saw and to respond the way he responded, the same spirit that took a sinner like Paul, a persecutor of the church, and made him, Father, uh, a model for us in so many ways. Uh, Please, may your spirit be at work among us, helping us, Father, to grow more and more and more into all that it means to be called a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, please be seated. <clears throat> it's been a uh, very interesting week for me. I mentioned my friend Inga is in town. I've been on her board for 20 years uh, and have enjoyed being a part of the work of Arab Vision uh, for a very long time. It's been a very important ministry to me. And so she came to town, and uh, I wanted to get her around to introduce her to as many friends of mine as I could and to some other churches. And so this morning... We've already been to another church. Uh, she and I went over to First uh, Methodist Church in Richardson, Texas. And uh, I, my first time to visit First Methodist, it's just literally across the interstate from where Leslie and I live. But I'd never actually been to a service there. And I, I told Inga on the way over here, I said, well, brace yourself. Uh, Metrochrist isn't quite as big as First Methodist uh, Richardson. Uh, their, their service, their eight 45 service of three services, their 845 service was uh, this would have been one corner of their gigantic church. Uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful morning and a great opportunity to meet some neighbors. Les and I live in Richardson, and it was a really uh, wonderful thing to go over there and take a friend of mine and introduce her to their mission pastor, who uh, is someone we want to talk to and sit through a service and pray with them and read God's word with them and be blessed by the fellowship they share. And it it really was a little picture to me of all the varieties of ways that God is at work. Uh, he, he He is at work in ways that boggle my mind. All the different ways, all the different places that he is at work in, in, in all kinds of situations uh, and, and it, was, it was a happy thing for me to go and see that uh, over there this morning. I'm a very committed Presbyterian. I'm a very committed Reformed Christian. But brothers and sisters, God works in all kinds of ways. He is, he is at work in places that, 
we don't expect him necessarily to be at work. All kinds of plagues that surprise us and amaze us. Well, that is a little bit of the background to the passage we're looking at this morning. Uh, If you were here last Sunday, you'll know we started in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Uh, We read about this very unusual church plant in a place called Antioch. There are a couple of Antiochs in the New Testament. There's the Antioch up near, uh, up up towards Greece, and then there's the Antioch down in Syria. And uh, this is the church at Antioch in Syria. And it was the first church plant that we read about. It was planted in an unusual way. It was planted not by a famous person whose name we read in the pages of the New Testament. The church in Antioch was was founded by people whose names we do not know. Uh, In fact, what we do know about them is that they came from unlikely places like Cyprus and North Africa, a place called Cyrene. They, They were not people from Jerusalem. They were not people from that part of the world. They actually came from a a distinct part of the world. The other thing we know about them is that they had been uh, brought to Antioch as the result of a persecution. Uh, They actually moved to Antioch, many of them apparently immigrants from other parts of the world. They came to Antioch in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering. Uh, Stephen, just a few chapters earlier, had been killed And as a result of that persecution in Jerusalem and and elsewhere, uh, people were scattering. And this little church was founded in this place called Antioch, which was uh, between uh, the part of the world where Israel was. It was just north of there on the way into Turkey, what we now call Turkey or Asia Minor. It's this sort of bridge area. And this church, Antioch, had been started there. So it's a very unusual church plant. And not surprisingly, we read in, in uh, uh, verse, um, let's see, verse 22, that a report of this unusual church plant had come to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Someone passing through or whatever their situation might have been, went to this church in Antioch. They saw it. It was so unusual that a report made its way back to the mother church in Jerusalem. And uh, they in Jerusalem heard about this and responded by sending Barnabas, someone they trusted, to go in their behalf to see with his own eyes what's going on in Antioch. It's pretty unusual. Let's go check it out. Well, What we're going to see starting here in Acts chapter 11 is the beginning of a process that led to the first church council in Acts 15. We all know Acts 15, the council in Jerusalem, the enormous uh, controversy that, that led to that council. And Paul was there, Barnabas was there, the apostles were there. Uh, It was a very significant point in church history. Well, that all happened because of what was going on in Antioch. That was the ignition that led sometime later to the Council of Jerusalem. So this situation in Antioch was volatile. It it involved all kinds of moving parts. There were lots and lots of questions. How could this be? These These are not people who were raised 
knowing the Old Testament? How, how could they be part of this covenant community that had roots back in the Old Testament? How could non-Jewish people, Gentiles, the nations, which was a kind of a slang expression for the, the bad people, the pagans, the barbarians, how could they be a church where God was at work? Questions like that regularly come up in, in, in Christian experience. How could that be the work of the God we think we know really, really well? So that was the question that forms the, the backdrop, the first few verses here in the story of the church in Antioch down through verse 24. Uh, uh, Barnabas had gone there. He, he had seen all of this. And it's a, it's a wonderful commentary on Barnabas it says in uh, verse 22, 23, rather, in verse 23, when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. Uh, he was glad. Those are three very beautiful words to my ears. Uh, he did not go in with this hypercritical negativity where he, he wanted to come in at the get-go, against it. He didn't go in there with this attitude of, it can't be. There's a long list of why this can't happen. That wasn't the attitude that we see here in Barnabas. What Barnabas saw actually made him glad. It's a very simple emotion, a gladness. It gave him joy. It, 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 It made his heart glad. And he exhorted them, Luke records, he exhorted them uh, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now, both of those elements of Barnabas' response are significant. He was glad, his heart was made glad, and he exhorted them to be faithful to the Lord, to remain steadfast. So what he actually presented there was, was this this grace-filled attitude of gladness in the power of God who works in all kinds of mysterious ways that seem sometimes to break the rules to us, and at the same time, this commitment to truth, this commitment to remaining faithful to the Lord, to be steadfast. And that's a little picture of Barnabas. Uh, elsewhere in Acts, he's, he's called the son of encouragement, and here it, it fits here as, as uh, it does elsewhere. Barnabas was someone who had this gift of encouragement. And I, I said uh, uh, last Sunday, I'll say again, when I grow up, I want to be like Barnabas. I want to be like Gar- Barnabas. At 64, I'm not sure when I'll grow up, but um, I love this picture of Barnabas who had this, this gladness of heart and this commitment to the truth that he displays here at the church in Antioch. Now, all that's background to verse 24. It says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Uh, I said a minute ago how glad we are to have Norman and Ariel here, how glad we are to have uh, little Winston here with his family and How wonderful it is, how joyful it is, how glad it makes us to look around and see the Lord 
doing what the Lord does as He, as he adds to our number, as, as people respond to Him. Because never forget, brothers and sisters, the great evangelist, the great church planter is not the people uh, who we read about in the history books. They have their role to play. The great evangelist, the great church planter is and will always be God Himself who shows the power of His grace. Uh, my favorite composer uh, is sitting in the church today, uh, Colin Day. <laughs> Uh, that song, Gentle and Lowly, Colin, I just don't see how you come up with these things. Uh, it is such a happy thing uh, to have you here with us and to, to think about and to sing about the grace of God who is in Christ shown to us with such gentleness and such humility and lowliness how He reaches out to us in our brokenness, in our sinfulness. He, he reaches out to us. He does not wait on us to reach out to Him. He does not wait on us to earn His favor. He comes to us gently and lowly. He always has and He always will because that's what His heart is like. It's not just a happy moment. It's what he's like. And so he's showing his lowliness and his gentleness to this hodgepodge bunch of immigrants in Antioch where they weren't supposed to have a church. They were breaking every rule. Church in Jerusalem didn't know what to do. They sent Barnabas. He was happy by what he had seen. Uh, he rejoiced and told him to, be, to remain faithful. And then... He went in search of Saul. Why on earth, at this point, did Barnabas go searching for Saul? This is uh, verse 25. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Um, we're taking this part of Acts as a standalone series, but it wasn't that long ago, just a year ago, that we were working our way through the whole book of Acts. And you will remember, perhaps, that Barnabas had met Saul before. Barnabas had met Saul before he went to Antioch. So if you, if you flip back a few pages, uh, you'll, you'll find references to Saul uh, and his interaction with Barnabas. Uh, look at uh, chapter 9, verse 26. Uh, this is talking about Saul. It says, When Saul had come to Jerusalem... He attempted to join the disciples. This is after Stephen had died, after uh, Saul had, has it, had had his eyes opened miraculously. It's all recorded for us a couple of times here in the Bible. Acts chapter 9 has a version of this story. So he comes back. He attempts to join the disciples. It says, uh, and they were all afraid of him. Uh, that word translated and can just as easily mean but. And I think that's kind of the picture. Uh, he came to them, but they were afraid of him. They were all afraid of him. Because they did not believe that he was a disciple. Couldn't believe that the guy who had organized the 
mob that killed Stephen, who literally held their coats for them, they couldn't believe that that guy had been converted to Christ. They didn't believe him. They were, they were fearful. They thought he was a person who couldn't be trusted. Verse 27. But Barnabas, the encourager, took Saul and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So on the basis of Barnabas's recommendation, it says, he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. All right? So flip back over two chapters to Acts chapter 11. We're down at verse 25. Barnabas knew Saul. Barnabas knew where Saul was. Didn't know where, apparently, in Tarsus. But he knew the area where Saul had gone. Barnabas knew his experience. Barnabas knew that Saul had been a persecutor of the church. This was not something he was unaware of. He specifically knew that Saul had persecuted the church. He also knew that Saul was a changed man who had encountered the resurrected Christ and who had been teaching about Jesus. He knew that he was bold, that he was willing to engage the Hellenists, these Greek-speaking Jews and others who were debating at that stage in the development of the church. And, and Saul had shown himself willing to contend and to stand for the gospel. Well, apparently, Barnabas realized that that gift set, that extremely unusual gift set, that experience set, that, that type person might very well be of use in a church like Antioch. So Barnabas went to look for Saul. Uh, he, he went over there to find the person that God had put on his heart to go and find. You know, uh, that idea of, of uh, Barnabas looking for Saul is, is a, a little picture of what God is always doing. He, he's always looking for his people. He's always looking for them. He's always searching them out. He knows us inside and out. He knows our experiences. He knows our gifts. He knows our weaknesses. He knows the things that make us ashamed. And he comes looking for us. He's not surprised. He's looking for us. And here, Barnabas gives a little snapshot of that that searching out work of God who knows us, who knows his church, and has a plan. Um, we're getting ready to have a new round of elections for officers, and um, I am praying the Lord will lead to uh, Metrocrest, uh, those whom... God has been looking for with the gifts and the experiences, the, the good experiences, the painful experiences, 
to fulfill God's purpose for MetroQuest. Uh, he does that very dramatically in Antioch, and I believe he does that in his church. That's, that's what he does. He's not indifferent. He, he's not sitting passively on the sidelines hoping we get it right. I, I believe God's at work in his church, bringing the people that he wants to have here, adding to our number, gifting people for service. That's what God does. That's one of the ways he provides for the church. That's one of the ways he's blessing us here at Metrocrest, bringing people to himself and searching out those whom he wants to be involved in the work that he's given us to do. So the Barnabas is a little picture of that, that encouraging human dimension of this invisible divine work. That's Barnabas. Well, Barnabas goes to Tarsus, and in verse 26, he finds him. Uh, Tarsus was an interesting place. It was uh, in what is now Turkey. Uh, it's part of a province called Cilicia. And actually, uh, I didn't know that until uh, recently. Another preacher was talking about Tarsus and Cilicia. And Cilicia shows up again and again and again in the book of Acts. That area was very important. Again, this bridge area. Well, Saul went to, sorry, Barnabas went to, to Cilicia, to Tarsus, looking for Saul. He finds him, and he brings him to Antioch for um, the purpose of uh, preparing him for the work that God was getting ready to entrust to him. And it says uh, in verse 26, For a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great many people. You know, I... I don't believe statistics matter enormously. I don't believe having graphs that show exploding attendance or exploding membership matter enormously. They're not necessarily evidence of anything. So I don't really care all that much about statistics. I don't believe God cares all that much about statistics, but he does care about people. And to the extent a statistic represents something about people, it matters to God. And that's why in Acts, and really throughout the Bible, we see these references to numbers, because those numbers represent people. And God is adding to his church as, as the church in Antioch grows, as, as he, he brings more and more people to himself. It says they were being taught. Uh, Saul, Barnabas met with the church and they taught a great many people. How did Barnabas train Saul to be a church planter, to be a pastor, to be someone who could lead the church? How did Barnabas prepare him and teach him? Well, the interesting answer is he prepared Saul for the work he had to do by getting Saul to teach. Uh, I love my visits with my brother, Will Grover, uh, who's a professor at a, or a lecturer at a nearby university, and Will often says, you don't really know a subject until you start to teach it. That's when you begin to understand things. That's when 
when, when you begin to put it together and it, it, it sort of jumps off the page and it takes on meaning and significance. The way that Barnabas was preparing Saul for the work that God was calling him to here in Antioch and elsewhere was to get Saul involved in teaching the people whom God was bringing to himself. Paul was trained, sorry, Saul was trained to become Paul by teaching. Uh, There is no better way for you to grow in your walk with Christ than to begin to try to teach other people. Maybe it's your own kids. Let me tell you, there's nothing more important, nothing more challenging, nothing more beautiful than to see parents teaching their little ones about Jesus. I uh, told you we went to a church this morning and one of the most beautiful parts of the service was they had like 75 children march in uh, to sing a song about Jesus. And uh, it's a beautiful thing to see children learning about Jesus. I look around the room here at Metrocrest and I see babies and I see young ones and toddlers and I see teenagers who are learning about Jesus. Well, they're being taught They're being taught by dedicated volunteers and staff people who are themselves growing in their own ministry, growing in their own understanding by teaching other people, our young people. Parents have an essential role to play. You can't really substitute for the unique role parents play, but you can supplement it. You can add to it by having other people alongside involved in that work. And Metrochrist is very blessed to have that. We have small group leaders, care group leaders. We have uh, Sunday school teachers. We have people involved in all kinds of discipling relationships. Well, that's the way you and I are trained to grow in our own discipleship. And every single disciple should be in the process of becoming a disciple maker. You see, all of us are called to be disciple makers. We're called to be those who teach other people the good news about Jesus. As we learn it, we teach it. And that's what happens here to Saul, who's already had experience teaching. Paul and uh, Barnabas had seen that. But here, over the course of a whole year, Saul taught the church. Wouldn't you have loved to be a part of that Bible study? Barnabas and Saul in formation, a little bit of experience under his belt, a lifetime of experience, some crazy experiences. And Saul was there for a year in Antioch teaching as God drew more and more people to himself within that church. And I want to draw your attention to the very last sentence in verse 26. In some ways, it feels like a throwaway line. But it's actually, I think, one of the most important things to understand about the church in Antioch. This first church plant says, In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. There there was something in this church's experience. The combination of the hardship they'd endured. the, The experiences they had had of suffering, the experiences they had had under under teaching and their own growth as disciple makers, something about all of that 
combined in such a way that there in Antioch, the disciples of Jesus were the very first time called Christians, which is an interesting word. It's a combination Greek word, Christus, which is uh, from Messiah, and then this, this Roman, Latin series of letters put together at the end, I-A-N. All of that came together to produce these, well, the word translates little Christs. The, the church in Antioch was made up of little Christs. Lots of scholars have pointed out that that was probably not meant as a compliment initially. Little Christ. You're just a little Christ. In a world full of great religions and the, the gods of Greece and Rome and the military might and the, the powers of this world, you're a little Christ. You're just a little Christ. Could very well have been meant as a slur, a put down, a way to mock you. You're a little Christ. Yet is there anything more precious than to learn to be a little Christ? Is there any higher aspiration that a human being can have than to be a little Christ? Showing the love of Jesus, the, the generosity of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, being his little representative wherever he puts us a little christ disciples being discipled by disciples growing in their christ likeness which includes his humility his loneliness his gentleness well that little group of hodgepodge disciples these little christs that church becomes the church that changes the world. Now, Jerusalem had its unique role to play. We'll read a lot more about that. What happens in Jerusalem is acknowledgement of the central role that Jerusalem had to play. But Antioch had a central and unique role as well. It was there in Antioch, in this church of suffering, persecuted Christians, most of whom were not famous, from different places, brought together under weird circumstances. It was there where people first became called Little Christ. And that church is the mother church of all the other churches in the rest of the world. It's from there, through Antioch, that the Holy Spirit, for some reason, chose to work. As church after church after church after church after church was planted by people who passed through Antioch. Like Paul, like Barnabas, who in the rest of the book of Acts is shown again and again going, taking the gospel to Ephesus and to Greece and Athens and around the known world, all around that whole part of the world. This was the church that sent the people who would plant the churches, that would plant the churches, that would plant our church. You see, every single church is called to be a church-planting church. We 
talked a few weeks ago about how our building was designed. This is, this is half of us. The, the original plan was to have another half. And uh, we haven't done that yet. But you know what we are doing? What we're on the verge of doing? What we're getting ready to do is partner with the Evangelical Presbyterian Church to plant another church. I know there will be members of our church who will be a part of that through prayer or, or by actually being a part of the group that goes to help plant it. And while it is a, a risky thing and a thing that, that we want to be thoughtful and careful about to have a plan, I couldn't be happier. You know, it was, it was actually part, I've got it right here, our original philosophy of ministry at Metrocrest that was written 30 years ago we started out intending to do what we're getting ready to do. Just like Antioch, Metrocrest has the privilege of helping to plant a church so that God's mission to the world will continue. And the interesting thing to me is the, 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 the goal of the new church plant that we support and intend to be a part of, however that works out, is aimed at missionary, at uh, immigrants in Richardson. <laughs> in Richardson. The church in Richardson planted Metrocrest 33 years ago. The little PCA church now, Town North Presbyterian Church, are getting ready to have their 50th anniversary. They planted our church, and now in God's grace, we're going to help plant a church there in their neighborhood that's specifically aimed at reaching out to refugees and immigrants, people just like the first Christians in Antioch. And we get to be a part of it. And that church planter, Saul, who we see here being birthed, is the person God's going to use to accomplish the purpose that God had. And he will work through Colin. He will work through members of our church who go with Colin. He will work through our church as he accomplishes his purpose, as he fulfills the mission that he has always had and that he will always have until his son returns in glory.